then eventually head out. But I do want us to read. Uh, let's look at Mark 1. Um, and I do have some, some questions, um, some really practical things that I want us to wrestle with in this passage in light of what uh, even Reese was sharing. And so verse 21, it says this, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him, and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So here it says, Mark is very fast-paced. And all of a sudden it says, they were in Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now in Luke, we see um, more of a historical uh, approach to Luke's gospel. And so right before this this happened, uh, Jesus was in Nazareth, and his hometown, and he was declaring why he had come. He opened up the scroll um, to Isaiah and said, hey, this, these words are now fulfilled. And he says, the kingdom of God is here. I've come to bring freedom to the captives. I've come to proclaim liberty uh, to those who are enslaved. And Jesus uh, enters the scene, and then he uh, is sharing with the people that he grew up with. Um, and they look at him, and they're like, wait a minute. This is, this is little Joseph's boy. He's the Messiah? And there was a little bit of uproar in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, and they took him outside of the town, and they were going to throw him off of a cliff and kill him. And this happened right before, and then Jesus goes to Capernaum, which a lot of his, where a lot of his ministry took place. And Capernaum is uh, on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, situated on this, uh, this uh, trade route. And there's a couple pictures of uh, Capernaum. It's actually a beautiful location uh, right on the Sea of Galilee. Overlooking the Sea of Galilee, there's a couple pictures up there. If, uh, we'll get them up there. Oh, he's sleeping back there. So there, there's Capernaum, not a huge city. Um, there's uh, one angle from it. You can see uh, from the sea, uh, the, the city of Capernaum as well. But inside of uh, Capernaum was a synagogue, and that's the, the next picture, ruins of a, a synagogue. And Capernaum was known to have some of the best Bible teachers around. And so they had heard really good Bible teaching. Like, this is what the law says. This is what it looks like to live according to the law. Um, They had heard some really gifted Bible teachers. But then Jesus enters. And what does it say? That he, he started teaching, and it says, They were astonished, for he taught them as one who had authority. Now, this, this phrase, one who had authority, literally means out of the original stuff. It's where we get the, rude, the, the word author from. Like, like this is a, a picture of like the, Jesus had authority because he wasn't coming in and sharing some, uh, some uh, teaching or some interpretation of the law. No, Jesus came and he shared the story of their lives as an author because he was. He wasn't the teacher. He was the original. He was there from the very beginning. And so they hear Jesus' words 
And they hear his teaching, and they're astonished. They're amazed. They're like, we haven't heard this before. We have heard some good teaching, but this is different. There's something unique about it. This guy is so set apart. It would be like if, if, if you saw me playing basketball, and you're like, wow, that guy's gifted in basketball. Wow, he can really shoot. And then all of a sudden, Michael Jordan came, around, came, came along. And you're like, well, this there's something completely different. This is what we're talking about. Like people's chins would have been dropping. They would have been like, this teaching is amazing. This one has authority. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about authority. And that's a word that we don't like to, to hear. We don't like to have people necessarily in authority over us. We don't like to have people who are telling us what to do. We might buckle at authority unless that authority is for us and in favor of us. And we see that Jesus had authority. There's human authorities and then there's spiritual authorities. And Jesus comes on the scene as the most supreme authority, the one whose name is above every other name, the one who holds everything together. And he not only speaks with authority, he demonstrates that authority. He walks into the synagogue, and we don't know if this man was making a scene before Jesus got there, but all of a sudden when Jesus comes in, the, the man cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God, which is so interesting. The demons always knew who Jesus was. They always got that right. And so Jesus came in with authority, but he demonstrates his authority by just a word, brings freedom to this man's life. This man with an unclean spirit, he is set free. And the people are like, whoa, even the unclean unclean spirits obey him. I want to talk about the man in a little bit and ask some questions that are very practical for our lives today. But the first thing I want to ask is, do you realize in our lives that we are in a battle? That, that you and I are in a battle. I mean, we read this story and we're like, okay, that happened a couple thousand years ago. I mean, this is, we're reading the scripture and we're like, okay, that's a, a cool story. But, but from the very beginning, the gospel of Mark paints a very clear picture that we are in a battle. That life, the experience that we have in life, that reality is a battle, that life is a battleground. I mean, this is real, even more real than what we even give it credit to. That we are in a battle. Are you living with this as a reality? Like Reese said, we have the, the kingdom of God, which is uh, this generous, gracious rule of Jesus, and the kingdom of darkness and evil, where there's limited authority, where the enemy only wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And we have these two kingdoms that are opposed to one another. Do we live with the reality that life is a battle? I mean, all the way through scripture, we see this. This is nothing new. Like all the way through scripture, we see that there is an enemy. All, go back all the way to the garden. In Genesis 3, here's just a couple of examples. We see that from the very beginning, Adam and Eve were created and they're chilling in the garden. And then three chapters in, a serpent comes and it says, you know, do you want to be like God? We see the enemy there right at the very beginning. Fast forward to Job. Job, which actually should take place uh, right around Genesis 11 or 12. And what happens in Job chapter 1? You see that the enemy comes to God and says, hey, can I have your servant Job? He's only worshiping you because everything is good in his life. And God says, all right, go ahead. Go ahead, make his life miserable, just don't take his life. You should read Job chapter 1. It's pretty fascinating, but it's this picture that we live in this battle. 
Fast forward to the first king of Israel, Saul. It says, Saul was tormented by an evil spirit. We see that King David, the one who would uh, come after King Saul, would often calm David down by playing the harp. And uh, the evil spirits in him would, would calm down. And so we see that there is this battle back and forth. Even David, when he, was, when he sinned, when he counted the number of men, we see that evil was very much a part of it, that it says in, in 1 Chronicles 21 that David was incited by Satan to take a census. We see that we live in this battle in the Old Testament, but the New Testament, we see the picture as well. I mean, we see this story when Jesus comes into the synagogue and there's a man with an unclean spirit. We see, we'll see a couple chapters later where there's a man who is, is ravaging a town because he's filled with demons in Mark 5. There's numerous occasions in the Gospel of Mark, 13 references to the demonic just in Mark alone. One commentator said, if you take out the demonic out of uh, Mark, you wouldn't have much of a gospel left. Fast forward to the early church, and we see that Ananias, who had sold some property, came and, and, and brought an offering, but didn't bring the whole offering. And the apostle said, why has Satan so filled your heart? This is all just an example that we are in a battle, and then eventually Paul would say that we are in a spiritual battle. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this dark world. We are in a battle. Are you living with that reality? Are you living in light of that reality with that awareness that we are in a battle, a very spiritual battle? There have been a handful of times in my life when I've seen what happened in Mark chapter 1, when I've seen it played out. I've seen people that were demon-possessed. And I remember the first time that I saw it, I was up in uh, Traverse City at a conference called uh, Genesis. And it was put on by the Reformed Church in America. And worship was, was happening. There was a group called Master's Commission that came. And they came and led worship. And they were from down in Florida. And, and they just, it was powerful. It was absolutely powerful. And this kid, Chris, came up next to me. And he goes, Dave, I can't be here. I just can't be here. I'm like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, his whole demeanor changed. And I looked at him, and I said something nice, like, okay, we got to get out of here. Uh, we got to do something. Inside, I was freaking out because that was the first time I'd, I'd, I'd seen that. A lot of words were going through my mind. I'm like, Ooh, what do I do? But it was a, the first time that I, that I realized that in a very powerful way that we are in this spiritual battle. And I've seen that a couple of times, and I took them to a person, and I said, hey, I need you to help me, and I'll get more uh, to that later. But that was just a reminder and a realization that we are in a spiritual battle. And so we see things like Mark 1, 21 through 28 to take place. But here's the thing. I also know that we're in a spiritual battle because I have seen more than just three times where I've seen the demonic manifest. I have seen countless times where people give their heart and their life over to the enemy, and there's this slow fade away from following Jesus, following Jesus wholeheartedly, and they allow sin to creep in. See, I think so often we want to ignore this reality that life is a battle, that we are in this spiritual battle. And I believe that the enemy in America, we see demonic manifest itself all around the globe, but in America, the enemy wants us to sleep. He wants us to, 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 to kind of go through our lives kind of ignoring that reality. 
And the time has come that we, as people, as far as of Jesus, need to wake up and live our lives like we are in a battlefield, not just being defensive, but being offensive and taking ground. See, when I was up in Traverse City, I came to a gentleman and I said, hey, I need your help. This young man is freaking out. I need you. You know scripture. I know you know scripture. You stand up in front of people and you, 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 you quote scripture. You memorize scripture. I need you to share scripture with this young man. I don't know what else to do. And he looked at me and he looked at this young man and he said, Chris, I want you to relax, calm down, and go back in there. It broke my heart because in that moment, it appeared to me that this person didn't realize the battle that we are in, the battle that is real, the spiritual battle that is raging all around us. And I don't want us to ignore it, but to be prepared to engage in it. Because the truth is, read Revelation 12, we are in a battle, but the truth is that the battle has been won. We don't fight from a place uh, like for fighting for victory. We fight from a place of victory. The battle has already been won. Jesus has conquered, but it says that Satan has been thrown down and that he wreaks havoc for a little while in Revelation 12. And so as followers of Jesus, I want us to be prepared, prepared to engage when the demonic or anything evil approaches us, know how to deal with it. But the question that I have for us this morning, going back to the story, here this man had an unclean spirit and he was in the synagogue. He was in the synagogue. He was in their church. He was in their their holy place. And the question that I have for us in a very practical way is this. Have we given room, have we given space to the devil in our lives? Have we given room to the enemy in our lives? Look at uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And we love Ephesians 2 where it talks about the grace of Jesus and the goodness of Jesus, that we are saved all by grace. But Paul is is teaching them and saying, this is how I want you to live. You've got to throw off the former life and you have to put on Christ. But it says this in Ephesians 4 verses 25 through 27. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And then this line, and give no opportunity to the devil. Or in the NIV, it says, do not give the devil a foothold. Paul is writing to followers of Jesus. Paul is writing to people who have, who have turned from witchcraft to following Jesus. And he said, you know what? Don't give the enemy any room in your life. Don't allow him to have any territory of your life. He says, don't give the devil a foothold. And I love that picture. is because like, it's a picture of a door being slammed, and then you stick your foot in there, and it doesn't close all the way. And just a little crack. And Paul is saying, don't give the devil even a little crack in your life. Don't allow him to have any space in your life. Don't allow him to have any territory of your life. Have you given the devil a foothold in your life? I think one of the concerns that I have with the church today is we want to look at the world and talk about the corruption and sin that is in the world. 
and blame the world and this and that. And you know what? We can talk about that. I'm not saying don't talk about it. But I think the most important thing that we have to do is look inward and talk about the corruption and sin in the church in our own lives and ask those hard questions. Have we allowed the devil to get a foothold in our lives? And Paul says, don't do it. Slam the door shut. Because here's the truth. The enemy doesn't care. Look at how he interacted with the, the man in the synagogue. He threw him down on the ground and left. The devil doesn't care about you. The enemy doesn't care about you. He only wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus wants to come and bring freedom into our life. And so if Jesus wants to come and bring freedom into our life, why would we leave the door to open to anyone or anything else? And so here are just some ways. Each one of these, I know, could be, could be a message. But here are ways that we let the enemy in. And I think this first one is the foundational one. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3. One of the ways that the enemy gets in is through unbelief. It's through unbelief. Look at the enemy in Genesis 3. Goes to Eve. And what was the first question that he asked? Did God really say? Did God really say? Wanted to bring up unbelief in her life. And I think this is at the very core of, this is the very thing that gets us off of track, that allows the enemy to get in. See, I think the debates that are happening in the church today and in the world today all come down to one question. Do we believe what God says? Do we believe what the Bible says? Because I can pull any topic, and the truth is, are we going to believe what the Word of God says? I have a concern that we can approach the Scriptures and we can overstudy the scriptures. We can pull things apart and say like, oh, it really means this, or it really means that. And I've always had this thought of, if we got alone on an island just with this book, would we come up with half of the things that we are believing today? Or would we just simply read scripture and say, oh God, this is what you want. This is what you want for my life. I believe it is clear in here what God wants for our lives, but it comes down to, do we believe the word of God. Do we believe that as God breathed? Do we believe what God's word says? See, as a church, as Restoration Church, we're not a, a cool church or this church or that church. We're a Bible church. We're always going to be coming back to this is what scripture says. This is what God wants for our lives. But do we believe it? And I think one of the ways that we allow the enemy to come in is through unbelief. I think that's a very foundational thing when we question what God says. Other ways that the enemy gets into our lives is through habitual sins, things that we do on a regular basis. I asked Barry uh, this week, I said, how do you think the enemy gets into our lives? And he said this, the things that the Lord warns us about are entry points. If we, dis if we go against what God says, those are ways that the enemy gets into our lives. And so there's all different sorts of things. There's sexual immorality, there's drunkenness, there's greed, there's gossip, there's slander. There's so many different ways that the enemy can get into our lives if we do it over and over and over again. I think about what Jesus said about our eyes, what we look at. Jesus said the eyes are the doorway to the soul. It's how things get in. Jesus said when your eye is bad, your whole body is going to be full of darkness. And when we think about the eyes, we instantly think about, about lust. But what about greed or coveting what our our neighbor has, desiring something that's not ours? Or what about what we watch? There are so many ways that the enemy gets in through our lives, through our eyes, or even our emotions, anger, fear, 
All of those are entry points that the enemy can get in. Loneliness. Think about loneliness that leads to isolation. And people live by themselves. And they're not in the community that God intended them to be in. And I've seen over and over again, the first step that people take away from God is away from the people of God. I think about broken relationships. We all experience broken relationships. But if we hold on to unforgiveness, there's such a way for the enemy to get into our lives. And that doesn't even bring into the whole occult. All of those evil practices that we see that, that, that are out there in the world. Anything that opens us up to the spiritual realm. There's witchcraft. There's crystals. There's magic. There's all of those things that can open up our lives to the enemy. Have you given the enemy a foothold? I think the Lord is calling us over and over and over again to inner purity, to check our hearts, to check our lives, and to say, are we slamming the door on Satan, or are we giving him an entry point into our lives? Just this past week, I, uh, we put in a, a new backyard, and uh, we had a company come and, and do it, and they were doing some work with my wife, Cece, and so they came and they put a whole new uh, grass uh, backyard uh, into our backyard. And I went out there shortly after they, uh, they put the yard in. They put the, not the sod, they put the, what's that stuff? They spray it? Hydro seed, thank you. They sprayed it, and I'm like, wow, it's so flat. It looks so cool. It looks so pure. Sprinklers were going. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. This stuff is going to grow pretty quick. And then all of a sudden, I saw this little chipmunk come from under the fence and just started digging a hole, and it was kicking up all this dirt. I'm like, you little bugger. I'm like, that's, that's a shame. And I walked back inside, and, and then I came back out, and he looked at me, and I'm like, he's digging some more. And I'm like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Our yard is, is decent size. It's only one little hole. And then I'm like, well, he's going to keep digging and digging and digging and, and rip up this whole backyard. And so I got uh, Zane's BB gun, <laughs> and I went out there, and I tried to take him out. And sure enough, I, I missed, and they went, <laughs> he scampered off, and I'm like, okay, maybe I just scared him. But then he came back in again, and I went inside and got the BB gun again, and he was, I looked at him, and I, I shot at him and missed him again, and he, he took off. And I'm like, okay, I'm just kind of scaring him. And then I went for a run, and I was thinking about all this and, and just thinking about my life and sin in my life and, and areas where I potentially have given the enemy a foothold, and the Lord kind of spoke to my heart. And he says, Dave, you need to treat your sin, and you need to be so aware of your sin, and you need to be, be um, attacking it in the same way that you're attacking that chipmunk. Because he's just, he's just taking care of a little part of your yard, but eventually it could invade your whole yard. And so I came back, I ran, I ran uh, around the block, a big block, and I came home, and I went to see if he was back there in the back. And sure enough, he's looking looking at me. I went inside, got the BB gun, sweat was pouring down. I took a shot at him. Chipmunk is no more. <laughs> He's gone, and he hasn't come back. Here's the thing that the Lord impressed on my heart. We need to be active in this. As followers of Jesus, we need to be constantly evaluating our life. Are we giving the devil a foothold? Are you giving the devil a foothold in your life? 
I want to have Tyler come up and, and just lead us in a song. But here's what I want you to do. I want there to be freedom in this place that if you need to stand in worship, you can stand in worship. If you need to sit and evaluate your life, sit and evaluate your life. If you need to confess something to a, a brother or sister, confess something to a brother or sister. I want us to constantly have our hearts open to the Lord. I want us to be a place where we can be authentic before the Lord, where we can be real and say, God, search my heart, know my heart, know my, my thoughts, know my ways. Is there any evil in me? Because I don't want us to be a place that is giving even the littlest crack to the enemy getting in. And so, Lord, I pray. I pray that we would not take things lightly. You say don't allow the enemy to even get a foothold into our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm asking right now, is there any part of our lives that we've opened up to the enemy? Anything that we've done or anything that we've said, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would show it to us right now. I thank you that we are, are living not to prove ourselves to you. That's already been done. Jesus, you took care of that. You, you paid the penalty. But we want to be people that are wholly devoted to you, living for you every single day, living for the glory of Jesus. And so purify our hearts, Lord. Remove things that don't belong there. And Holy Spirit, I believe and I know that you're going to be showing us those things. And so would you give us the boldness to be obedient, to do what you're asking us to do, to get rid of anything that is in the way of us following you wholeheartedly. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.